Why are there so many different views of end-time Bible prophecy? Is it because Bible prophecy is just too difficult to understand? Should we just give up on trying to interpret end-time prophecy and all of us become pan-millennialists, believing it will just all pan out in the end? For the answers to these questions, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again this week, I am delighted to have as my special guest a dear friend and colleague, Don McGee from Amit, Louisiana. Welcome back to Good Christ to in here, Prophecy. Good We're to be glad here. to have you, Don. Also this week, I'm pleased to have my associate, Nathan Jones, here to help me interview Don. Nathan is our web minister. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you, Dave. Good to be here. Well, I'm sure that many people viewing are glad to put a face to all that guy who does all that work on the internet. Yes, don't look Face at the man it. behind the curtain. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Okay. <laughs> well, Nathan, why don't you get us started on this discussion of Bible prophecy? All right, Don, I need to know this from you. There are so many different viewpoints of Bible prophecy out there that some people have just given up. They said, well, you know, like Dave said earlier, there's, they're pan-millennialists. They think it will just all pan out because they just give up. Why do you think there's so many viewpoints out there? I, first of all, I'd like to address this term, pan-millennialist. Pan <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> it, yes, it is. Uh, you know, I hear that from time to time. Nate. I hear a lot from pastors. Yes, mm -hmm. and, um, it's, and it's usually intended to uh, evoke a, a chuckle or a yeah, laugh. Yeah. I don't see it that way. I see it, if someone is really a pan-millennialist, it indicates to me they're not willing to study. Mm -hmm. How can you study Bible prophecy from Genesis all the way to Revelation and not have an opinion? That's right. And if you read it literally, then you're going to come out with a, what I believe to be, a premillennial, pre-tribulation opinion about yeah, yeah. it. I don't mm -hmm. see any other option. You know, I used to have a colleague named Dennis Pollock. You remember Dennis? Oh, yes, yes. Well, Dennis had, uh, he got so aggravated at pastors saying, well, I'm just a pan-millennialist. He said, those people would have been really good members of the know-nothing party back before the Civil War. That's right. Because they just are admitting they know nothing about it and don't care to know anything about it. Who would, who, who, anybody that with money invested in the stock market does not take a Pan stock market attitude. <laughs> yeah. You can believe that. So why would they take it with scripture? You know? Well, you know, they look at Bible prophecy and they say, well, these people, they just sit on their suitcases, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for Jesus to come. They're no good to anybody. But that's not the case. Bible prophecy makes us motivated, right, to As preach? It certainly does. And I believe that one of the reasons, to, to, to address you, your original question, uh -huh. one of the reasons we have so many, so many attitudes about this is because people want to hear what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And now, if, if you don't want to hear about the imminent return of Jesus, then you're going to take the attitude, well, the Lord says a year is like a thousand, a thousand years is like a day and all that kind of thing. That is not a hermeneutical principle that he was establishing there. Well, Don, isn't it also rooted in uh, whether or not you approach the Scriptures for their plain sense meaning or whether you uh, tend to spiritualize them? Well, why would we spiritualize Scripture, Dave? If you spiritualize it's Scripture, done all you, the can, time. you can make it mean anything you want it to mean. Well, that makes you God. Uh, 
Well, yeah, it makes you God, and also it salves the conscience. You know, I don't really have to worry <laughs> about this because I see this as meaning something else. We don't spiritualize the directions to, uh, uh, you know, to putting uh, <laughs> furniture together. <laughs> we don't spiritualize uh, anything. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're learning to fly an airplane and that guy gives you a checklist, you don't spiritualize that <laughs> That's a good point. You know, when I was growing up at church, uh, the, message, the only message I ever heard about Bible prophecy was this. There is not one verse in the Bible that even implies Jesus will ever put his feet on this earth again. And then when I was about 12 years old, I discovered Zechariah 14. 14 yeah. says he's coming back to Mount of Olives. I took that to my preacher. I said, what does this mean? And I'll never forget, he read it and read it. I don't think he'd ever read it before. And he looked up and he said, son, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what it means, but it doesn't mean what it says. <laughs> because it disagreed with us. What else uh-huh. do you need to say? That, that, that betrays an attitude. If someone is seeking the truth, as Christians we need to do that then they're not going to take that attitude. They're going to read Zechariah 14 and they're going to look at other texts that, that are similar to it and they're going to arrive at a conclusion. But people say, well, Bible prophecy is apocalyptic, therefore it never means what it says. That's almost mm-hmm. like a disease, right? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was. I got apocalyptic. That is an excuse mm-hmm. term. That, that's a buzzword that's used almost like the panmillennial buzzword. Yeah. Well, if I say it's apocalyptic, then God is going to relieve me of any responsibility of studying this and arriving at, at a conclusion that's definitive according to Scripture. Well, it takes me off the hook. And the interesting thing about it is the book of Zechariah is an apocalyptic book, and yet every prophecy in it about the first coming meant exactly what it said. I have a problem sometimes with people who look at it that way. If you, It's at Micah. Uh, <laughs> if you go to the book of Micah, you will find that they spiritualize one text having to do with, with the Lord's coming. But when you go, uh, it's two chapters early, I believe, three or four, something yeah. like that, where it talks about... Uh, um, uh, the, the first coming of Jesus, they will say, well, that is, that is absolutely accurate yes. there. That's literal. Well, mm-hmm. my question is, where do you draw the line? Show me the chapter and verse where you draw the line from spiritual to literal. Right. It can't be done. Well, that's right. And, and when you start spiritualizing, brother, you get in trouble. I mean, the two parts of the Bible that are spiritualized the most are the beginning and the end. And the end. Yeah. Oh, well, it really wasn't six days. It was really 600 million years for each day or whatever. And you get to the end, and well, it doesn't really mean a thousand years. It means this or that or whatever. Those are the two parts that are most abused. That's right. And it's all by spiritualization. It doesn't mean what it says. I believe without question Satan is behind this spiritualization of Genesis and Revelation because it, it, it lures people into a false sense of security about origins, exactly. and also it lures them into a false sense of security about And if about you're going to say God's not doesn't mean what He says there, then how do I know He means what He says about look, the resurrection? Look, why, why don't we just take this and trash it then? You know, mm-hmm. if, if the Lord did not mean what He said about uh, taking us out of this world at the rapture, then what, what else can I doubt? You know, is there a heaven? Is, is the Lord really going to take us to heaven? Or am I going to just go into oblivion uh, like the annihilists say? Mm-hmm. Or will I spend eternity in hell? Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy in our interview of Don McGee, Evangelist and Director of Crown and Sickle Ministries. 
You know, Don, I grew up and many people grew up with uh, Hal Lindsey, The Great Late Planet Earth, uh, the Left Behind series. I read every one of them, uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. And so generally, I always thought that there was just the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial mm. viewpoint. <laughs> but the more I studied Bible prophecy, the more I realized that's a minority case. Most people, especially the Catholics, believe in an amillennial in position. Protestant denomination. Yeah, a lot Protestant. of Protestants right. too. And right. So could you explain what the amillennial position is for our audience? Kind of in a nutshell, uh, the early church was uh, premillennial, using that term broadly, uh, because there are a lot of varieties of that, especially 2,000 years ago. Now we say premillennial. Premillennial, meaning that the return of Jesus is before the millennium, the second coming of Jesus to this earth. Okay. And he'll come and reign a thousand years. And he'll come and reign a thousand okay. years. All right. Okay. The amillennial uh, view came in with guys like Origen and Constantine and, and people like that. And those men came out of a background that said uh, philosophically that anything of the body, anything physical was bad. Mm. That it was only the spirit that counted. Oh, Gnosticism. Uh, huh? It's Gnosticism, basically. So when they got to Scripture, they spiritualized it, saying Jesus is not going to come back to a literal earth because a literal earth is uh, physical. And by Therefore, nature evil. And, and, and it's inherently evil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jesus uh, cannot do this. So what I have to do now, since I am denying that, then I have to come up with an idea uh, that uh, I can believe. And they came up with amillennialism. The A there is often called the alpha primitive. It simply means that it negates the millennium. There is no millennium. Yeah, in Greek, if you put A in front of a word, it, yeah, it negates the yeah, word. Yeah. Right, exactly. So that's what they did. That's where the term amillennial comes from. And they do not then believe in a literal thousand year reign of they Jesus. They do not Earth. believe at that. They believe okay. at the rapture. In fact, they don't even like to use the term rapture. Yeah. Okay. But they believe that when Jesus does, could be 10,000 years from now, as they say, does come back and take the church out. And they don't even refer to it as rapture, they call it the resurrection. Uh, they believe that. Bingo! You know, Second Peter three ten kicks in. The earth is destroyed, burned up, and that's it. Well, they take the position that the millennium actually began at the cross, and yes. we're in it now. Yes, and how, really, I, I can't understand. Yes, that. absolutely. Huh? I, if we're in, if Jesus is ruling and reigning over this world right now, uh, as, he's doing an awfully uh, bad job. I, yes, yeah. I, I have some correction to offer. Him. Yeah, they argue the millennium began at the cross, and and for the uh, uh, early uh, when Augustine began to argue this, he could argue, well, uh, he's going to you know reign for a thousand years and he'll come back. Well, in thousand A.D. he didn't come back, so then they had to spiritualize the thousand years, and they've been doing that ever since then. The majority of Christendom, and I use the term yeah. very broadly, yeah. the majority of Christendom is amillennial. Yeah. Hmm. So they argue we're in the millennium now, which is hard to believe uh, since it says the earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. They also argue that Satan is bound now because it says when the millennium begins he's going to be bound. Hmm. Well, Do you believe he, Satan's bound uh, now? Peter said he's not. Peter says he's a roaring lion. <laughs> that was written mm, after the that's resurrection. Right. Uh, and, and Peter says he's out to destroy anyone that he can. So no, John, Satan is not bound. And John many years after the resurrection said mm -hmm. the whole world is under the power of the, the evil, evil one. one. Yeah. So Satan, Satan has it was bound by the cross in the sense that that we begin uh, that believers ever since then receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we have greater power uh, in combating Satan. But it says in the book of Revelation, he will be bound so that he can no longer deceive the nations. That's a special kind of binding. He is not talking about not deceiving Christians. He is not talking not about not deceiving the Jews. He's talking about the world. Yes, the whole world is it within the... And also uh, the Bible says that when the millennium begins that Jesus Christ will reign on the throne of David. Is He on the throne of David right now? He is now? not on the throne, throne of David right now because for several reasons. But besides the obvious, secondly the throne of David 
never has been, is not, and never will be in heaven. No. It's mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. So he's at the right hand of his father on his father's throne. Right. He's, on, he's sitting in a chair. He's not in a throne, if I can use that term. <laughs> so, so they'll say there is a spiritual kingdom, and I, I believe that's true, right? There is a spiritual kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns over the church, but not a physical kingdom which is totally dedicated to the millennial kingdom. That's, um, I don't see how they can come up with that either. Really? Uh, w- one of the problems that our millennials have is that they try to take the kingdom of God and put it into the church. If you go to Luke, is it 13 and about verse 28, uh, Jesus Himself talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being in the kingdom of God. Now, mm-hmm. were they in the church? I mean, were they pre-Pentecost or post-Pentecost? Well, they're not in the church as we know the body of Christ, and yet they're in the kingdom, which right. tells me that... Let me, let me play the devil's advocate here for a moment. I've actually had people write in several times and tell me, this idea of Jesus reigning for a thousand years is only mentioned one place in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Therefore, it's not all that important. Yeah, it couldn't right be here. true. So, we have a test that if it's mentioned three times, it's no good. <laughs> if it's mentioned five times, it's got to be mentioned ten times for us to believe it. Six times. Why doesn't God, I mean, why is it good enough for just, if He mentions it once? That's all we need. Mm-hmm. But He says it six times in the yes, book of Revelation. Yes. Revelation 20. I've also had people write in and say, well, now, if you go over to First Peter, you'll find that it says that, uh, the Lord, uh, the earth's going to burn up, and, and Jesus is going to come. The earth's going to burn up immediately, and so wh- how can there be an earth in the millennial reign? Yeah, uh, it's going to burn up, but that's going to be before the eternal you state. You have to consider it's, all prophecies; they don't all give you all the details, do they? No, you don't take one prophecy out of context and stand on it and say this is all God says. <laughs> well, about you do if you want to prove your point. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that pig path we were talking about. Uh, you know, <laughs> and that it's, pig path. It's, it, they just pick a pig path. Yeah, you know what a pig path is. Yes, I sir, know. I do. Yes, they sir. Just kind of well, do. actually, the millennium is needed because God is going to fulfill a lot of promises He's made during the millennium. He is going to fulfill a lot of promises that He made to the nation of Israel, yeah. and He's going to fulfill promises that He made to the entire world. world? That's, right. that's right. But there's another aspect of that, Dave. If there is no millennium, then Satan wins, God loses. Yes. In the garden, everything was perfect. That's right. God says, this is the way I want it. Sin entered, there was a curse, and we're experiencing, experiencing the consequences of that even today. But there's a time coming when Jesus is going to take back from the clutches of Satan that which He created. Yeah. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. We have been talking with Don McGee about end-time viewpoints of Bible prophecy. Don is the founder and director of Crown and Sickle Ministries in Amit, Louisiana. Don, how about giving us an overview or summary of end-time events? I'd be happy to, Dave. What I'm going to do is give you an overview of end-time events from the premillennial, pre-tribulation point of view. There are others out there, but we believe the literal interpretation of the Scriptures, and that presents the premillennial, pre-tribulational point of view regarding end-time events. The very next event that is going to happen is the rapture of the church. This is when Jesus comes down from heaven, and He does not come to the earth, but is in the air above the earth. And a trumpet is sounded, and there is the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ rise out of their graves to meet Jesus in the air. When that happens, they're going to be given new, glorified, immortal bodies that they'll have for all eternity. Immediately after the resurrection of the dead in Christ, those of us who are still alive at the rapture will be caught up to meet them in the air. That means that this corruptible, mortal body 
must be shed, and we will be given an incorruptible, immortal body, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talked about this in the Philippian letter. We're going to have bodies like His. Never any more sickness or pain or anything like that. There are some other things that have to do with the resurrection of the, of the, the Lord's people at the, what we commonly call the rapture. And that is, it's not a general resurrection. Not everybody's going to be raised at this time. There will be others who will be raised later, the dead who are not Christians, and then the Old Testament saints at another period of time also. But this is a family affair. This is just the church. When we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, we're going to go back to heaven with Him. And what will happen on earth is a very, very terrible time of tribulation. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and the book of Revelation 2. People who are left behind are going to experience suffering that is unprecedented. Jesus said, if it were not for the intervention of God by sending Jesus at the end of that tribulation to establish His millennial reign on this earth, then no flesh would survive. When you look at the book of Revelation, there are three sets of seven events that are going to happen. There will be seven seals that will be broken, and then seven trumpets will be sounded, and then seven bowls of wrath will be poured out on the face of this earth. Folks, when we read these things, we need to understand that though there is symbolic language in the book of Revelation regarding these events, yet that symbolic language points to very literal events. For example, by the time the the first four seals are broken in Revelation chapter 6, 25% of the earth's population will have died from famine and war and disease, and wild animals. So if people believe that they can escape committing their lives to Christ at this time, can go on living the way that they want to, and believe that they can become Christians, they can become saved during the tribulation, they're walking on very thin ice for a couple of different reasons. And if you're sitting out there thinking that, you really need to pay attention to this. Number one, If you reject Jesus Christ now, there are some things said in Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica that could indicate your heart will be hardened to the point that you will reject Him. Number two, there is a good chance you're going to be killed during this tribulation time, even before you might get to the point of accepting Christ as your Savior. The tribulation is going to be a time that is unprecedented in its horrors. And it's going to end with an event that is just so beautiful and so fantastic, it's very difficult to understand. Zechariah in chapter 14 wrote about this event. And in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, John saw it and recorded what he saw. This is the coming of Jesus from heaven back to this literal earth. He is going to come to the Mount of Olives. And the Bible tells us that when He arrives at the Mount of Olives, that mountain is going to split north and south, allowing an east-west valley, into which people, Jews, who are still alive in the city of Jerusalem, will flee 
And the reason they're going to flee into that valley is Jesus is going to do business with his enemies at that time. We're told in Revelation 19 that they're destroyed, they're killed by the very word of Christ as he rides in on that horse. But Zechariah says some things that are different. Zechariah says that their eyes and their tongues and their flesh will rot even before their bodies hit the ground. Some people believe that that is the result of a nuclear catastrophe. Personally, I do not believe that. I believe it's simply the means that Jesus will choose to destroy his enemies. These are enemies not only of Christ, but of the Jewish people. During that seven-year period, the Jewish people are going to experience trial that they have never seen before. And it's going to take that kind of tribulation for them to finally recognize that Yeshua, Jesus, is their Messiah. And they're going to be brought to a point where they will cry out. Actually, they'll be crying out to the one whom they pierced. And they will say, He's our God. And He will say, They're my people. When Jesus arrives on the Mount of Olives, He's going to have believers with Him. That's us. We're coming back with Him. And I don't understand every detail of that, but my belief is not based upon my understanding. It's simply faith in the Word of God, the literal Word of God. We're going to be with Jesus as He leaves the Mount of Olives and as He marches through the Brook Kidron And he's going to go through the eastern gate of the old wall city of Jerusalem. Several hundred years ago, the Turks walled that gate up and said, We're going to prevent Messiah from ever coming back. And then they planted, uh, uh, established a graveyard right at that gate because they believed that no Jewish rabbi would even come close to those graves and become ceremonially unclean. And they felt that the blocks in the wall could prevent him from entering. I find it interesting that the Turks took this literally. Understanding these scriptures literally. Muslim Turks. When many in Christendom today attempt to spiritualize it. I would encourage you to look at this from a literal standpoint. When Jesus comes back and he goes through that gate, he is going to go into the old city of Jerusalem and he's going to establish himself on David's throne, just like the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And he is going to be king over all the earth. And Christians will be with him to assist in the governance of this planet. It's going to be a wonderful time. In Isaiah chapter 11, we're told that Wild animals will be freed from the curse. That a lion will actually become herbivorous, will eat hay like a cow. A bear will be in the same pasture as a young calf, also herbivorous. It says that God is going to cause the nations of the world to take their implements of war and beat them into implements of agriculture. And there will be peace on the earth. And that's going to last for 1,000 years. Then an interesting event happens. During this 1,000 years, Satan is bound. And then he's going to be released for a short period of time. And he's going to deceive the nations of the world. And he's going to convince humanity that they can fight God. 
That indicates to me that not everyone during the tribulation was a disciple of Christ. But even more important than that, it indicates to me that environment has nothing to do with the human heart. It's evil and wicked like Jeremiah said. For 1,000 years people lived under the absolute perfect reign of the Son of God. And here in a short period of time, the deceiver comes out and he's able to convince them that they can fight God. Then we find that they're going to be destroyed. Satan is going to be captured. And he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Then we have the eternal state. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we have a brief account of how the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. And after that, there is a new heaven. And out of this new heaven comes this new earth. And then the new city of Jerusalem will descend out of heaven. And in some kind of way that only God knows the details of, it's going to be established on this earth. A city that is 1,500 miles cube. And we're going to live there for all eternity. You may be thinking, well, that's very difficult to understand. I don't know about this literal interpretation of Scripture because I don't understand it. Oh, folks, it is much easier to understand the literal truth of God's Word than it is to try to comprehend some spiritual allegorical means of interpretation. With spiritual interpretation and allegory, you can become God and you can make it mean anything you want it to. The consequences of that is if there are ten people spiritualizing it, you've got ten different opinions. But we can stand firm on the literal Word of God, understanding that nothing that happens takes God by surprise. And every event that happens is being used in God's orchestration of events that have to do with the rapture of the church, which is the very next event. I would encourage you to read these things for yourself. God gave you a mind. He gave you a brain, the ability to think and to comprehend. And as a Christian with the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can discern these things and come to a literal interpretation of what he said. May God's richest and deepest blessings be upon you. Thanks, Don, for that incredible summary overview you just gave us there of end-time events. It was just absolutely fantastic. You know, if you ever develop any enthusiasm, you might be a pretty good preacher. Thank you for the invitation <laughs> to be always. How about, quickly, how about quickly telling our viewers how they can get in touch with your The ministry? best way to reach me is to go to our website, which is crownandsickle.com. That's it. Go there and you can okay. contact us. There. Thank you, Don. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministry saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. David Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages, contains a comprehensive overview of all aspects of Bible prophecy. It's written in an easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style that you will find appealing. In addition to all the prophecies concerning the first and second comings of the Messiah, it deals with a host of other prophetic questions, such as, what happens when you die? What will heaven be like? What's the future of the earth? Where is the United States in prophecy? When is the rapture most likely to occur? Is the Antichrist alive today? Are there signs of the times that are unique to our day and age? 
The book contains a variety of charts and diagrams which illustrate various aspects of Bible prophecy. The book is available for a gift of $15 or more, plus shipping. To get a copy of God's Plan for the Ages, please call 1-800-705-8316, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, and ask for it by name, or order online at lamblion.com. The book contains 42 exciting chapters about Bible prophecy and runs a total of 415 pages. Again, it can be yours for a gift of $15 or more, plus shipping. Call 1-800-705-8316 today to request a copy or order online at lamblion.com. Consider ordering an extra copy for your pastor or church library. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 